Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. My guess is that many of my listeners have a favorite sports team, be that a college team or a pro team. Well, how many of you would like an invitation to actually become part of your favorite college sports team? Uh, where you literally have a signing day to join the team and you get your own locker and you go to all the practices and all the games. Well, one nonprofit is offering just that, but their invitation is not just to anyone. They focus their invitation to go out to deserving kids who are battling life-threatening and chronic illnesses. That nonprofit is Team Impact. And their goal is this, to connect children facing serious and chronic illnesses with college athletic teams, forming lifelong bonds and life-changing outcomes. Seth Rosenzweig is the executive director of Team Impact, and he's the guest uh, for my show today. And what you're going to hear from Seth is not just this incredible experience for each child to be on a college athletic team. You're going to hear how one story he shares is this one particular boy was being bullied at his school. And this college team that he was a part of actually heard about this and they actually come to the child's school and do an assembly about anti-bullying. So this organization called Team Impact not just provides this wonderful experience for these children, but it's actually changing the schools where these kids go. You're going to really enjoy today's show. Well, Seth Rosenzweig is the executive director of Team Impact, and he's my guest for today's show. Seth, thanks for being on the show today, and talk a little bit about your organization. How did it get started? First of all, thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate being part of this. Team Impact was started six years ago by a group of friends, actually, but all went to Tufts University. Uh, they came back together and decided, let's try to leverage our relationships to try to make an impact for kids in some capacity. The founder, uh, one of the founders, Jay Callanan's brother had a serious brain condition, who many times felt isolated, uh, had thoughts of fatalism, and really never far, felt part of something. So Jay used to take him to the Bristol Red Sox games, um, and eventually the team kind of caught on and said, you know what, why don't you come and be the honorary bat boy? And so the idea kind of came together, what if we intentionally worked with kids that are living with serious and chronic illness, who are having the social, emotional, and psychological um, challenges because of their medical circumstances, and drafted them onto full-fledged kind of as full-fledged members onto college athletic teams around the country that would have great impact on these kids, on their families, and imagine the impact this will also have on the college athletes. This is such a great idea. Now, so for the people that have never heard about your organization, exactly how does this work? I mean, walk through an example of how a child gets signed by a team, for example, and then participates with the team. What's your vetting and placement policy? All of those things. In terms of how it works, we usually get referrals, and the referrals come either from pediatric hospitals, camps that are working with different disease areas, word of mouth, social media, et cetera. Once we find a child, we have a, you know, a pretty substantial application process just, just to make sure that they're the right fit for the program. So we do some substantial vetting to make sure, one, that they can commit to um, the two-year experience, and two, that they obviously would benefit from our program. Once that's done, um, so let's say we have Larry. He's from 
you know, the Michigan area, we find a team from, from Michigan that's close in proximity. Um, so let's say we go to University of Michigan football. Um, we do a lot of vetting to make sure both from the administration, coaches, and the student-athletes that they are all in because this is not a one-shot experience. It's a relationship experience model uh, where they're interacting with the team three to four times a month um, and trying to hit clear goals and outcomes at the end of their two-year experience. Once we've done the vetting, we, you know, and we confirm the team is the right fit, we do a submit, substantial training with the team to make sure they understand anything from how our program works to um, the game plan for Larry specifically, his challenges, what he wants, what his family wants to work on, um, any limited limitations that he may have, whether physically or emotionally. Um, and then we, um, once we've gone through that process, we then have a formal draft day. Where, the, where Larry will sign his national letter of intent, there'll be a media press conference, and his journey will begin for the next two years. The way we execute our program is through case management, and by providing kind of oversight um, to ensure quality, compliance, and that we hit goals, we have case managers that work with the teams and the families to make sure that, that uh, things are going really, really well, and it's not just a nice story, that it's really impactful. At the end of the two-year experience, um, there is a graduation, and, and Larry will have a senior night, and then he will become an alumni of our program, uh, alumnus of our program. And hopefully, you know, we're developing an alumni program where, where Larry would then be able to mentor the next child onto the team. So it's kind of paying it forward from what Larry got out of the experience. So that's kind of how the process works. And, you know, what started out as 17 children matched on 17 teams in New England in year one, now we have over 1,300 children, 40,000 college athletes, over 500 colleges and universities in 47 states with substantial um, eye towards growth and improved quality of our program. It's amazing to see how much it's grown and how quickly it's grown. Your mission is to connect children facing serious and chronic illnesses with college athletic teams, forming lifelong bonds and life-changing outcomes. Um, how has your organization improved the quality of life for these children? Give us a couple examples, I mean, like other examples of Larry, of where you've really made a difference with these children. I'll tell you a story right. about a um, great, great child named Brady. Brady... Um, was born with CHARGE syndrome, which is a genetic disorder that, that can be life-threatening, but for him, you know, he looks different than his kids. He's eight years old, and he was being bullied in school. We drafted him onto the Merrimack College men's soccer team, and Brady kind of came out of his shell. He was really feeling isolated. He was feeling, you know, like he had trouble in his social networks, you know, really never felt part of a team, and so he kind of instantly bonded with the team and really came out of his shell. At school, he's still being bullied. Um, one day, he was being bullied so so badly that bunch of boys followed him into the boys' bathroom. He tried to lock himself in the stall. One boy kicked it down, hit him in the face, and he got hurt. He got sent to the hospital. Um, Brady's mother found out, and she called three people. She called the coach, because um, Brady never missed a practice, to let him know that Brady wouldn't be there. Her husband, obviously, and the doctor. Three days later, Brady returns to practice, getting out of his car in the parking lot, and the team sees him. They jump the fence, they meet him in the parking lot, and they say, Brady, this will never happen again. The next day, the entire team and coaching staff shows up at Brady's school and holds a school assembly on treating people with kindness and appreciating differences, kind of an anti-bullying theme. Now Brady's the king of the school. So what this shows is not only did this impact Brady, not only did it impact his family, not only did it impact these college athletes and coaches, but the ripple effect of this, if we do it right, can be amazing. And so and you can influence an entire community by you know inspiring these children and families to join Team Impact. And so that's just one of over the 1,300 examples we have of great kids, um, great teams, and I think great impact. For the children who, you know, we're trying to give them an improved quality of life uh, through increased optimism, confidence, and a feeling of belonging, 
which will help them to better accept their medical circumstances and be engaged in their, their daily social interactions. For the families, you know, we want them to feel connected and supported to give them a sense of normalcy and an overall lessening of stress for their entire family unit. And for the college athletes, we have, we'll hope that they'll have a deeper insight to, into an appreciation for the challenges faced by others and that they'll be civic-minded regarding their roles and responsibilities in their communities both now and in the future. So we have specific goals and metrics that we want to hit. Examples of this, so Larry, for example, Larry, uh, Larry has now has had over 100 surgeries. He is 15 years old. He was born with every major organ born out, you know, outside of his body, given very limited chance to live. Larry looks different than his peers. He was homeschooled, so he feels very isolated, doesn't feel part of anything. So when we came along, you know, his mother really wanted to improve his quality of life, to lessen his anxiety, to give him a sense of belonging and more confidence. And so we drafted him onto the University of Michigan football. Larry, not only now is he come out of his shell, has huge confidence, he's a member of the team, he's, he's the mayor. He's, the, he's a legend now at the Michigan games. He has so much confidence, he feels part of something. And the funny thing about this story is that his high school, he's homeschooled, but he takes a couple of classes at the, the high school nearby. The high school has now drafted him as well. So the ripple effect shows that not only does it impact Larry, his family has that sense of, like, I can watch Larry um, be with his friends. And for the first time ever, they saw Larry run. He had never really run before until he ran in front of over 100,000 100, fans at the big house. That's fantastic. And, you know, I went through your website. And I was super impressed with how much media you get and how you help tell the story of your organization. Talk a little bit about the marketing strategy and how you implement it. So, you know, I think a marketing strategy, I think, first, you know, started out we were very reactive. Now we're being much more proactive. We actually have um, a, a PR firm that works closely with us. They're doing a lot of it pro bono. Uh, we're lucky to have them. But we get, you know, everyone wants some good news right now. And I think that we're getting a lot of attention because this is um, not only as impactful, but it's great, they're great stories. Talking about kids who are really feeling defeated or feeling down on their life and families struggling to families who now have, you know, real purpose, real excitement. Um, and so the marketing strategy has really been let's tell stories. Let's get the word out there because ultimately our biggest challenge is we have 1,200 teams on a waiting list. And we want to get this out there so that every child that could benefit knows about our program. Um, and so ultimately our marketing strategy is how do we find more kids? Um, so telling their stories and showing how they can be impacted is our way of kind of getting it out there. At the same time, you know, we're in 47 states, but we were, we're in, we're, we were, all of our staff are in Boston. So we're trying to figure out kind of a segmented marketing strategy, more on the digital video side, you know, regional strategies, et cetera. So although we're only six years, so six years old, so we have a lot of work to do on that end, but things like social media, brand ambassadors and influencers, um, looking at digital and video a lot more to tell stories um, beyond just the traditional collateral and print is definitely going to be our strategy going forward. Yeah, I was really impressed again that you had, uh, I mean, so many colleges and universities involved with this process. And so talk about your program design of how you actually develop the program and how do you continue to improve it? So I think initially it was it was about kind of let's just see if the model works, meaning we knew, we knew that the children would be impacted, we thought, um, but let's, you know, something special happens when you empower a child not to be defined by his or her illness, but to teach these college athletes about grit and perseverance and what a bad day really looks like, at the same time wrapping a team around them. In theory, it sounds great. In practice, how does that work? And I think what we found is that um, we, you know, initially it was just more of testing the concept. What if we, you know, we had a draft day, but, you know, we said there it was, it was an open-ended program so they could stand for as many years as they wanted, um, and we wanted to kind of test, you know, 
that hopefully we can hold them accountable to interacting three to four times a month. But beyond that, we didn't do a lot of heavy lifting. Um, now, we've kind of really, we went through a very substantial theory of change process to develop our logic model. We now have three target populations, as I mentioned before, the kids, the families, and the college athletes. And we have strategies and milestones along the way. So, for example, we're going to be doing a lot more on the vetting side of things and on the training side of things, both of our staff and the teams, to make sure they're prepared um, to be as intentional as possible. We're changing our service delivery model by hiring a licensed social worker and social workers to do our, for, to do our case management versus former college athletes who are changed by our program. And we're going to use the former college athletes on the outreach side around the country to really be able to get our brand out there and find the right kids and the right teams. And so even our service delivery is going to change. We are finally measuring our outcomes and using data to kind of tweak our program. We made the program a two-year program instead of open-ended because the medical community urged us to have some, some more intentionality. So it's up to two years now. And we're developing an alumni program to make sure that after they graduate, both the kids and the players stay engaged with Team Impact. So a lot of shifts are happening right now. The next 18 months will be a shift, a shifting into the new um, service delivery model, which is very exciting for us. And what it's going to help us do is both improve the quality and get the scale. So right now we're adding about 250 matches a year. By 2022, we hope to have about 1,400 active matches in the program. Well, again, it continues to grow. And so fundraising, we've had almost everybody on this show has talked in some way or another about fundraising. Uh, what is your primary means of gaining support, and how do you recruit and retain donors? Before I started, 84% of our budget was based on a gala in Boston, which is very, very volatile. Really dangerous place to live, a great event. Um, so we've been working on a variety of things. You know, One is we've, we've built a major gifts program over the last year, getting you know individuals who care about what we do, to commit to a gift of $25,000 or more. Um, we've also been asking for multi-year gifts, so we've confirmed, I think, almost you know, almost a million dollars of multi-year funding for 2018 and 19 beyond 2017. Our gala will be still a big chunk of it. It will be about 54% of our budget, um, but we hope to continue to lower that. We've been doing a lot of work on the corporate side because there's great interest. So we, our first corporate partner was Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Um, they just agreed to uh, you know, $1.25 million over three years, and they're going to help us find more kids with cystic fibrosis, and we're looking at a variety of corporate partners, and then we're diversifying. We're, you know, we're going, you know, by putting staff on the ground in regions, so we, we have staff now on the ground in Southern California, Northern California, and Philadelphia, and we have plans for the next five regions, both on the program and development side, Chicago, Atlanta, Houston, uh, Denver, and St. Louis or Kansas City. We'll have regional uh, fundraising efforts going on so that we diversify away from Boston. So this year alone, we'll grow revenue by over 70% just through kind of um, initial investment in, in developing a real fundraising shop versus being so reliant on an event. Yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming that's tremendous. I mean, 70% increase. I mean, any ED or uh, fundraising consultant would be like, that's, you're doing really well. Are you the primary fundraiser, or do you have someone that's the primary job? Uh, we have someone, actually someone I've worked with for over a decade. Uh, you know, Shauna Gershman is kind of running the fundraising shop. Um, I'm obviously very involved in it, and my background obviously has been in philanthropy. Um, so, you know, we've also kind of added a couple key staff. So we, we you know, we, we wanted to make an initial investment in fundraising because our program was five years ahead of our, pro, our fundraising strategy. And so we wanted to try to kind of catalyze our ability to kind of ramp up. And so it's had great, it's been great payoff already 
um, and we have substantial goals for our future. That's excellent. And, you know, when you think about nonprofits, uh, uh, most people obviously lean on philanthropic donations and people supporting them through whether it be gala events, as you mentioned, or just uh, sponsoring over three years. Um, is there anything about your program that would be considered earn income? Is there anything you have maybe more of a social enterprise approach with your nonprofit fundraising? We do. So first, I didn't answer your retention question, which is basically around, oh, yeah. uh, just to kind of put that out there, you know, I believe in this industry, retention is the new acquisition. And so we had, we weren't even, you know, in, for many cases, we weren't thanking our donors enough. We weren't showing the impact. So we've been doing a lot of work on cultivating people, engaging them, reporting back. We just had our, sent out our first investors report that kind of showed them the impact. We, we're, you know, we're in the process of filling, finalizing a strategic plan for the next five years. We're going to talk to our key investors. So we really are doing a much better job around retaining um, because not only are they, are we, do we believe that the revenue will continue to come and grow, but they're also great connectors for us. So that's that piece. In terms of earned income, we actually just launched a strategy around earned income, which is a uh, e-commerce strategy. We did it. We, we, we rebranded ourselves this year to be more relevant, dynamic, and I think cool. Um, so we have a new logo and a um, you know all of our collateral is being redone. And we are we just launched kind of a, a retail and online retail shop to buy our gear. So whether it's hats, shirts, fleeces, and uh, and you know a, a significant portion of the revenue. Uh, will come to Team Impact to support our program. So we just launched it literally two weeks ago. Um, I look forward to kind of seeing that evolve and grow over the next, you know, two years, but we're already seeing great results. People love it. We need to keep it fresh and, and relevant, but I think that that's going to be a good strategy because we looked at the life is good model a little bit and thought that we had something just as cool to say, um, and that was helpful. The other area that we have not delved into, um, although we plan on it, is how do we, um, you know, look at the team's, paying a fee for service to be part of the program. We have 1,200 teams in the program right now. Um, and whether we have require a fundraiser from them or have a certain fee to be part of the program, you know, you know, if you have in 2022 over 1,400 teams, you know, even if you, you, you have to ask them to pay 250 to $500, it's a substantial amount of revenue. So we're looking into that strategy as well. Excellent. I really liked you're doing multiple approaches to do more fundraising. That's, that's very smart. So as people are listening to this show, um, how can people get involved if they want to get involved to volunteer or help? And then secondly, if families listen to this show and they have a child with chronic illness, uh, how can they get more information about this powerful program? So first of all, we authentically need people to be engaged in every aspect of our program. We're small, we're nimble, we're lean. And we really, you know, so we have a family volunteer program where, you know, families and individuals can get involved by volunteering and working with the kids and the families. Uh, we have uh, obviously a lot of, of student athletes, an on-campus ambassador program or fellowship program that we're going to develop for student students on campus, whether they're athletes or not, to kind of be brand ambassadors for us. Um, we have a program for corporate partners to engage their workforce in. So almost every aspect of our program we could use help on our board, on our committees. Every region has an advisory board. There's so many ways. The best way to find out more about this would be to go to our website, um, www.goteamimpact.org. Um, I'd also recommend following us on social media channels, Go Team Impact on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, which we kind of update content. But I think, you know, the more people we have engaged, you know, whether it's finding kids, finding teams, um, I would say any child or family that, you know, that um, thinks that they would benefit from this program, you know, go to our website. There's a form on our website to fill out a short form, and then one of our staff will contact you immediately and, and hope to get, you know, the right children part of this program. So we look forward to hopefully getting some traction from this conversation and, and 
continue to make an impact. Yeah, and one last follow-up with that. So you're based out of Boston, of course, but it sounds like you know, you've got colleges and universities across the country. Are you looking to expand and have other regional offices soon? We are. So right now we have staff on the ground, like I said, in Southern California, Northern California, and Philadelphia through North Carolina. We're hoping over the next, you know, to have staff on the ground in the Midwest, in the Southeast, in Texas, um, in Kansas City or St. Louis, and in Denver over the next five to seven years. So, we're, But we have the program running in 47 states. So, you know, Everywhere around the country, we could use volunteers, and we, you know, we hope to get the, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, and you know, involved as well, which we, you know, and then I think Idaho um, involved in the program. Those are the three states I think we're missing. So, um, anything that anyone wants to do, whether it's in their hometown or whether it's in Boston, we uh, we could use the help. Well, you've been listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. And today, our guest is Seth Rosenzweig. He's the executive director at Team Impact. It's an organization that has its mission to connect children facing serious and chronic illnesses with college athletic teams forming lifelong bonds and life-changing outcomes. Um, Seth, thanks so much for taking time, uh, and thanks for calling in from Boston. This is a fascinating nonprofit, and again, it's a fast-growing nonprofit, so I encourage my listeners to check it out, go to the website, and get more information. Thank you again for having me. It was great to talk to you, and I, I look forward to, uh, to reporting back to you in five years and say we did it. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.